Charter Oak Church has a mission. The mission statement is on the website and it reads as follows. The mission of Charter Oak Church is to reach out to those who are searching and to equip believers to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. This summer, Crossroads Campus is exemplifying both. And I love it. We're reaching out. Why are we meeting outside? Is it because the weather's so wonderful? Not really. Is it so that the kids' ministry area can have more room? No, but we're glad it does. We're outside so that we can reach out to more people. It gets a little crowded. If we had this number of people inside right now, we'd be overflowing. So we're looking for a way to make that better. But in the meantime, we've decided to meet outside so that we have plenty of room for everybody. They told me I could hop on the stage if it was raining. <laughs> Somebody lied. Yeah. So, literally, you can invite all of your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your coworkers, your classmates, anybody you know who needs to know about Jesus, and bring them. If you don't know how to do that, we have these wonderful little invitation cards. Please do not put this in their mailbox. Don't slip it under their door. Hand it to them and say, I would love for you to come see what we do on Sunday morning. Outside. You can even invite those friends of yours who've said, look, I get it. I used to be a member of a church. I don't want to talk about it right now. But let's just say I've sworn never to walk through the doors of a church again. Problem solved. Please be on mission and reach out to those who are seeking. The other part of our mission statement is that we are equipping believers to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And this summer, this series that we're going through is doing that in three different ways. So first of all, we're studying the book of 1 John because we need to know what the Bible says. And 1 John is an extremely relevant part of the Bible for where we are in the world today, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We're also, through this series, we're going through five books of the Bible over 14 weeks. Now, any other church I've been at, they would have done five books as a five-week series. We're going through the whole summer over five books because one of the things we're trying to do is together learn how to study our Bible. Pastor John put it great last week when he said, you know, you can get in one of those read the Bible in a year plans and you get through it in a year and it's great. But do you know what you read? I read a lot of things in high school and college that I do not remember. But I can say I read them, I can cross it off the list, right? It's important with this book in particular that we know what it says. It is life-giving, life-changing. So we need to be able to study it so we can know what it says. And also, we're encouraging everybody to memorize the first chapter of 1 John. Now you might say, I've got to memorize the whole book. It's 10 verses. It's real, you know, we're, we're starting off light. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in church, I was in Sunday school, we memorized verses all the time, we had the little chart with the stars on it, how many did you memorize, how quick did you memorize it, and I just thought that's how it works, right? That, that's what everybody does. I've come to learn two things. Number one, not everybody goes to a Sunday school class where you memorize scripture. And number two, not everybody comes to Jesus or goes to church as a kid. Some people don't find Jesus until they're adult, and praise God that they do, but... 
we missed out on that opportunity. And like I said, it's important that we know what this book says. So memorizing helps us to be prepared for the good works he's laid out for us. It helps us to have a ready defense. It helps us to keep ourselves in check. You find yourself in a situation and you wonder, what am I supposed to do? Oh, yeah, wait, I remember. The Bible says here that I'm supposed to do this. So we're asking all of us to memorize. And the homework for this past week was to memorize the first verse. If you didn't memorize it, please don't feel bad. We're not, we're not going to have your chart missing a star up here. But we do want to encourage you to memorize. And last week, we wanted to memorize 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Did I get that right? Okay. Wow. Can I just say I'm really glad I didn't get the memory verse wrong? <laughs> By the way, if you did memorize that verse, congratulations. You're through the hardest part. That is the longest verse in the whole chapter. If you didn't get it, you got another week. Like I said, five chapters, 14 weeks, only 10 verses, so you still have time to catch up. So this is what we want to do. We want to be equipped. And to that extent, we're studying 1 John. Now... Nice cover. By the way, we do want you to bring your Bibles. We want you to bring your Bibles so that you can make notes in it. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you. Provided free, no cost. We had some up here. There are some over there, I think. Okay, good. Um, and just a word to the wise, the blue ones are different than the brown ones. The blue ones are the large print edition. So if you're like me and your glasses have this little line in them, blue one. Grab a blue one. We've also got little golf pencils so you can mark them up. We want to be writing in our Bibles. i got to tell you, this is the hardest part of this whole series for me, is learning to write in my Bible. When I was in kindergarten, I went to the library, and they told me, you don't write in books. So I didn't. Like, ever. Like, I went to college, and I wouldn't mark up my textbooks, and my friends thought I was nuts. They're like, how are you going to remember? I'm like, I'm making notes in this book. Well, you can just highlight it. No, i got to put it over here. You don't write in books. That's the hardest part of this whole thing for me, is writing my Bible. But the reason we're doing that is so that as we look at it, there's memory jogging. We know what's going on. We can understand. We have little notes to follow. So don't be like me. Please write in your Bible. So this morning we're going into the second part of the first chapter of 1 John. We're in verses 5 through 10. And John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, 
and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So last week, John finished up by saying that he was writing this, that his joy would be complete. What does that mean? Well, as we watch our faith grow, and as we see others come to Jesus, and that's where we get our joy. It's a little bit backwards from what the world teaches. The world teaches us that, you know, joy is what we're focused on. If I can just get that, that promotion, if I can just get a little more money, if I can get my kid into the right school, you know, if I can get, then I'll have joy. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says that our joy starts with focusing on Him and seeing God as light. So if you have your Bibles, and if you're marking it up, I want you to underline, God is light, and I want you to write holy in your Bible next to that. God is light means that God is the source and measure of all that is true. God is holy means that he is set apart from all others. If you flip way to the front of your Bible, all the way to Genesis, you'll find in the first chapter, verses 3 and 4, where it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Now, if you're there, go ahead and underline light and darkness, and circle separated, and then write holy in the margin right next to it. God is perfectly good. This is the good news. God is perfectly good... Throughout the Bible, we see a contrast between light and darkness, good and evil. As a matter of fact, it's not just in the Bible. If you read, if you watch movies, you will see darkness and light contrasted, good and evil. Where do you think they came up with that? The author of life set that definitively. So the good news is that God is holy. He's unlike anyone or anything else. He's perfectly faithful and perfectly just. And he's put an understanding of that inside each one of us. Think about it. When you experience brokenness, a breakup, a divorce, abandonment, you know, you can just watch the news and you see things that aren't right. How do you know? How do you know they're not right? Because our creator put that understanding in us. He's imbued us with the ability to understand right and wrong, light and darkness. So John sets out the foundational message of this letter as light is the promise of hope and joy, and darkness is the threat of misery and despair. So the bad news comes in verse 6. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. See, even though God made us, we chose our own path. And that makes us sinners. All of us. It's innate. It's inherent. We want to do things our own way. We choose darkness over light. We choose evil over good. We choose not to listen to God. We choose not to obey God. Our bent is sin, which sin is just disobeying God. It's, it's rebelling against God. It's refusing to hear God's word and obey it. It's not something we like to talk about. We don't like to think about the weight of our sin. 
we sang a song earlier, a really catchy tune, really fun song to sing, that includes the line, it was my tomb till I met you. It was my tomb. What's a tomb? A tomb is where dead people are. It's dark. There's no way out. There's no escape. There's no light. That's a tomb. It was my tomb. What in that song is it? It was my tomb. If you're paying attention to the lyrics, it is the way we live our lives. The way we live our lives before we meet Jesus. Sometimes, the way we live our lives after we meet Jesus. It was my tomb. When we're singing that song, do we, do we focus on that? Do we think about how dead in our sins we are? Maybe we ought to spend a little time thinking about that. So God is holy and perfect and faithful and just, and we're the opposite. We're sinners, we disobey, we're imperfect, we're prone to evil. So the bad news is, that means as a result, we deserve the just punishment that sin brings. And unfortunately, that's eternal death. That's what we deserve. We've turned from the light to the darkness. We've turned from good to evil. And as a result, you and I are deserving of the punishment of death and eternal separation from God. That bothers some people. It probably ought to. It ought to bother all of us. But it bothers some people to the point where they try and flip it around and they say, well, you know, if, if God's really a loving God, then how could he let people go to hell? John puts the focus where it ought to be and says, if God is just, how can he let sinners go to heaven? Imagine this scenario. You're watching the news, or you're reading your feed, and you see news about this crime, this horrible, heinous crime. There's video evidence. There are witnesses. Everybody knows that that person did it. Court date comes. There's a technicality. The person goes scot-free. We all know they're guilty. They go scot-free. What's, What's your reaction? reaction? How, How do you react, react to that? that? You're outraged. How could that happen? How could they get off? We all know they're guilty. How can they get off? We know justice. We know what it means. And it happens to somebody else. We're not, not so, so keen, keen on, on it when it's, it's what, what we deserve. deserve. But it's what we deserve, and there's nothing we can do about it. We are helpless to get out of that. Wow, that's kind of a downer, isn't it? Let's keep going. I don't want to stop there. Let's go to verse 7, where John says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. See, the thing of it is, Jesus died for God. So in your Bible, I want you to underline light, circle blood, and circle purifies. I'm getting some funny looks. Yeah, that's what I said. Jesus died for God. It's not what you're used to hearing, is it? 
we need to shift our perspective. We really like to focus on us being the center of the universe. It's not how it actually works. The one who created the universe is at the center, and so we need to focus on him. And we'll see later in John 1, uh, in 1 John, that Jesus absolutely died for us, but it wasn't just for us. Jesus' death ultimately was for God. If you were to flip back to the book of John, chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, let me set the scene. We've gone through Palm Sunday. We're not yet at the Last Supper. Okay, so that's where we are in John chapter 12. And Jesus at that point says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What drove Jesus to the cross was the glory of God. In one crowning moment in history, Jesus died to satisfy the wrath of God that was due sinners. Let, let me rephrase that. Jesus died to satisfy the wrath of God that was due to me. And at the same time, in the same act, showed the love of God to sinners. We can't get out, but God made a way. He is a way maker. John then moves to a warning at the end in verses 8 through 10. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Go ahead and circle claim and confess. The claim to be without sin is self-deception. It means that God's light, God's truth isn't in us. When we give ourselves to Jesus, when we confess our sins, we proclaim him as our Lord and Savior and choose to follow him, then the truth takes up residence in our heart and the light of God comes into us. So there's an important point John is making here. It isn't that when we confess and believe and repent and follow Jesus that our sins go away. We're not sin-free. We can't just live without sin. It's part of who we are. It's our nature. We're going to have that battle continuously. But when we do make Jesus our Lord and we have that light, then we can recognize the sin that's in us. We see it for what it is. One of the great signs of maturity in Jesus is a deep and abiding brokenness in sin. We understand what it means. So our great joy is that our sin is forgiven by Jesus. And our great grief is that so much of that sin still remains. That's the battle that we fight. So here's what's on, our on the line if we say that we're without sin. If we claim we don't sin, it says we make him out to be a liar. Who is him? God. We make God out to be a liar. We're claiming that we aren't in Jesus. 
The claim of sinlessness is not only self-deception, but it's blasphemy. So what we're saying there is that, you know, I don't have any more sin. I'm done with it. I'm good. Which means that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't necessary. God was wrong in sending Jesus because I can get past sin. We don't want to go there. So what do we do with all this? So we've got good news, God is holy, the bad news is we're not, and we should be punished. The great news is that Jesus took our punishment, and then we've got a warning that we need to confess our sins rather than just claim that we don't have them. Well, let's go back to verses 6 and 7, where it talks about that fellowship that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. Go ahead and underline fellowship. So verse 6 shows what destroys fellowship walking in darkness. So in the margin next to verse 6, write destroys. And verse 7 shows what preserves fellowship, walking in light. So next to verse 7, write preserves. The fellowship is between us and between us and God as we do life together. You know, it's, it's that walk. So what destroys a marriage is living outside of God's word. What destroys a family is living outside God's word. What destroys a friendship is living outside God's word. What destroys a church or denomination is living outside God's word. What preserves a marriage, a family, a friendship, a church, is walking in God's light and walking in his word. So let me ask you, do you want a healthy marriage? Read your Bible and live it. Do you want a healthy, vibrant family? Read your Bible, live it. Do you want a vigorous friendship? Read your Bible and live it. Do you want us to be a healthy, gospel-centered church? Walk in God's light. Walk in His Word and live it. There's a reason we focus on reaching out. People need Jesus. There's also a reason we focus on equipping believers. It's because we need to be ready. We need to know what this book says. There are lots of people out there claiming to be Christians who say the strangest things. I recently heard of a survey, and I don't remember the exact statistic, but somewhere north of 60% of people professing to be Christians believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Let me say that again. 60% of people, more than 60% of the people who say they're Christians believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. I don't know what you've read, but when I read this, that's not what I get. I get Jesus saying on multiple occasions that he is the way, singular. Now, that's not the only thing that's out there. There's a lot of crazy stuff out there. How are we going to recognize darkness when we see it? How are we going to recognize when we're starting to stray from what Jesus says? The point of being a disciple is following what that person says. If you don't know what he says, you can't be his disciple. 
So please take the opportunity that we have this summer. Read your Bible. Study it. Mark it up. Memorize it. Do anything you can to ingest God's Word and make it part of your life. And not just so that you know it, but so that you can live it out. We need to study God's Bible so that we can recognize the dark and recognize the light so that we can walk in the light. Let's ask him to help us do that. Father God, we are so very, very grateful for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the sun. But we thank you most of all for your son. We thank you for the sacrifice he made on our behalf and took our punishment so that we could be yours. God, please help us to be faithful disciples. Help us to read your word, to know what it says. And so very, very importantly, God, help us to live it out, both in our own lives and in front of others, so that they can see who you are and how much you love them. Father, it is in the matchless and powerful name of Jesus Christ, your son, we pray. Amen.